0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Genesis uh, in the 17th chapter. It's the opening seven verses, and I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between Me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make Nations of you and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this Reformation Sunday is from Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Here ends this reading from God's Holy Word. Paul is writing to the fellowship of believers gathered there in Thessalonica, praising them for the way in which they received his preaching of the gospel while he and his associates were there in their midst. They seem to have been a receptive bunch based on what he elsewhere alludes to in this epistle, and the apostle goes out of his way to remind them how he and his friends chose to interact with them. In his words, like a nurse caring for her charges. They cared and they continue to care, Paul maintains, for the fellowship in Thessalonica, for they care and they care deeply for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this one-two combination, caring for the gospel and caring for those who they are preaching it to, it's a combination that proves winsome to the early Greek converts and to so many others in so many times and places throughout the history of the church. It was this very same care for fellow man and dedication to the Word of God that led Martin Luther to dare challenge the very church that had given him nurture. It was on account of the restlessness of his own spirit in response to the Spirit of God within him that drove him to offer correctives to the religious system of his day, just as Jesus had modeled in his day, despite the cost. While on trial, before the Holy Roman Emperor, who was presiding over the proceedings at the convention known as the Diet of Worms, Luther was purported to have testified unapologetically for his allegiance Foremost to the gospel of Jesus, saying, Here I stand, I can do no other. As we approach together this one-year anniversary of the Sunday on which I suggested that we seek discernment through prayer and petition for the Lord to lead us toward a, a reformation that would take hold here within the church at Rehoboth, Uh, I've, I've been warning you that many of my upcoming sermons would take us back to the roots of our faith, and this morning we find ourselves right there at the very roots of our Protestant tradition, which at its best and its purest is firmly planted in the Word of God, Scripture, and in the Word of God, Jesus incarnate. The group of reformers who, along with Luther, challenged and chastised the Roman church of the day were to be credited with developing and expounding a collective view based on the five solas, or Latin for alones. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to God alone be the glory. These tenets, they encapsulated and they informed the theological thinking of the day. And just as Dunlop did for the Scots in the 1800s by bringing together a collection of confessions, so too the theological minds of Luther's day brought together these tenets of the faith and on them built the foundation on which we continue to stand. Not only were these people rich, deep-thinking theologians, inspired by the spirit of truth and empowered to speak this word right into the very church in which they had been birthed, but they were also people of compassion. Their conscience would not let them rest if they felt that they weren't doing all that they could for the benefit and the betterment of their fellow man in this life and in the life to come. This movement they were at the forefront of was not foremost about establishing a rival church. It wasn't about setting themselves up as bishops or archbishops or popes. But foremost, it was about enriching the spiritual life and eventually the eternal destiny of the people, as it had been with Paul and his friends at Thessalonica. They had come to speak the truth, the truth about the God of Abraham and what the new thing was that he was up to in, with, and through Jesus. They were concerned with the trappings of that presentation, but simply the message itself. I have to say that this was for me, one of the most attractive traits of our Reformed tradition, this reverence for the Word. Now, I tend to be an auditory learner. That is my preferred learning style is through listening to content. It may be in part that I, I, I don't see all that well, but whether it's that or whether it's something to do with a degree in speech communication, whatever the case may be, I I appreciate a presentation that is heavier on content, on substance, and lighter on splash and flash. To paraphrase what the apostle said, we didn't come to please an audience. If it's entertainment that you want, well then, head on down to the Colosseum. They got plenty of entertainment over there. We are just going to lay out for you the case for Christ, as Lee Strobel writes, uh, and entrust the spirit with the rest. And that turned out to be not a half bad strategy. This isn't to say that folks completely separate the message and the messenger. Had Paul and company presented their message in an incongruous manner, the, the people surely would have stood up and taken notice. That's why he is stressing here in this letter the way that they are to have comported themselves, reminding their audience how they behaved while they were there in the company of the Thessalonians. Paul wrote concerning the importance of a direct correlation between the two in his letter to the church at Corinth, from which we happen providentially to be reading this morning in our Sunday school class. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. There is a timeless element to this New Testament observation. To this day, unfortunately, we continue to see evidence of Pharisaic-like behavior on the part of religious leaders. They may be gifted with great charisma, perhaps a golden tongue, but when their actions away from the cameras and the microphones don't jive with the life of the gospel that they are proclaiming, unfortunately, they weaken that very message. A dedication to Jesus is, as the disciples, the apostles, the reformers all knew, a full-time job. There is no lunch break. Christians are always on the clock. Within the last decade, the Purge franchise has introduced a series of films and TV shows depicting a nearly idyllic life in a relatively crime-free state. Uh, It's a, a bit, I suppose, like the days of the Pax Romana. But in this fictionalized contemporary land, on one day each year, pretty much all the laws are suspended and people are free to act in any way they want. Well, Christianity doesn't work that way because God's laws are immutable because God's truth never takes a vacation the followers of the way of Jesus know going into it that they're gonna have to be in it for the long haul it's not a hobby it's not a fad Paul took it very seriously Martin Luther took it very seriously so much So that his own priest, on more than one occasion, told him he needed to relax for his own good. Fortunately, for the rest of us, it seems he didn't take that advice to heart. And those who have been gifted such a legacy that we celebrate in this day more than others, do these words of Paul to the Thessalonians resonate? with us as we seek to faithfully share the gospel are our ways as consistent and as compelling as our words. We know that people are watching us. That's why, as the old adage goes, the Baptist asked his co-worker, the Episcopalian, to pick him up something the next time he was at the ABC store. People see us everywhere we go. People see us at the Walmart. They see us at the gas station, some of us even at the car wash. They see us driving on the road. They read our bumper stickers and our vinyl clings on our rear windows. They see us and they hear us and they watch us. And if the acts don't go together with the message, they're going to be suspicious. But in the COVIDian age, now more than ever, people see us virtually as well. They see us now on Zoom. And for a while, they've been seeing us on Facebook, and they probably see more of us there. They see us on Instagram as well. People see us, and they hear us, and they read every single word that we have said every single sentence that we've typed in the chat box. The notion of online privacy, that's an absolute myth. If you have any doubts about it, it was just this sort of casual attitude to online communication that was the straw which broke the camel's back at one of our fellow McKinney churches. The truth is, people are watching all the time. How's the saying go? You're not paranoid if people really are watching you? Well, they are. Through God in Jesus and through his spirit at work in the disciples, the apostles, Paul and his associates, the church, the reformers, and you and I. We have all been entrusted with the message of the gospel to know Jesus and to make him known regardless of how unpopular it might be, to make disciples, to love God and man, as we have been taught and shown, despite the opposition that will inevitably confront us. On this Reformation Sunday, we are blessed. We are able to reflect upon so many examples of faithful lives lived dedicated to the essential tenets of the faith, to these solas, to these confessions, to the scripture upon which they are all based. Even as we're reminded that the demonstration of the gospel is the most powerful sermon anyone will ever preach. The adversary is forever looking for ways to stir up the pot. So my advice to us all, is to always try to err on the side of Paul, such that the worst that people can say about us is that we might have not been the easiest on the eyes, nor the most pleasing to the ears, but that we spoke the truth, and we did it out of love. For that, we may truly say, thanks be to God, and amen.